Church, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Sermon on the Mount, specifically Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're in these past months journeying through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what we know in Matthew's Gospel as a Sermon on the Mount. And I, I ask you a question that is a question that is universal to all of us. I, I wonder what keeps you up at night. In the sense, when, when you're staring at the ceiling and you're not able to doze off and sleep, what, what worries you? What, what fills your heart with anxiety? Is it the financial uncertainty of being able to pay all the bills at the end of the month? Is it a diagnosis that has been received and a treatment that is uncertain? Is it a prodigal son or granddaughter that you're, you're praying would come home? What, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? The American Psychiatric Association has a study. It has a, has a national stress indicator that they publish every year. It's a zero to a hundred score that is classified through their study. So you're able to compare 2017 to 2018. Our nation, according to this study, has, has risen six points in our stress level, our anxiety level to a score of 51. And, and at least according to the study, across race and ethnicity, anxiety has risen in our country, across male and female, across all sectors of ages, and then there's, there's a sense in which none of us need to look at a study to be able to know what we see around us and what we feel with inside of us. All of us know what it's like to, to be prone to worry. All of us know what it's like to be prone to anxiety. There are none of us in this room that this is not a familiar emotion. And what we ask is, is what do we do with our anxious heart? How, how do we view from a, a Christocentric nature? How do, how do we view Christ and our worry? What, what does the Spirit have to say to us in our worry? What does it look like for us to open God's Word and to be able to hear Him speak clearly to our anxious hearts? Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34 speaks clearly to our worried hearts when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toll nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all of these things? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. From this text, I want us to see and answer what what is worry. I want us to see and to answer how should we view our worries. And I want us to see and answer what do we do with our worries from Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. What is worry? Notice in this passage here that three times we're given this admonition to to not be anxious. Notice the far-encompassing nature of what Jesus tells us to not be anxious about. He says, don't first be anxious about your life. And then he says, don't be anxious about what you eat or drink. And then he says, don't be anxious about what you wear. And then he says, don't even be anxious about your tomorrows. Notice that he starts with life, he ends with your tomorrows, he buttresses it in the middle there with life and tomorrows, and he gets to the specificity of even what you will eat, drink, and wear. Notice that from verse 25 to verse 34, we have six times where that word that is translated anxiety or anxious in the English Standard Version there is before us. Notice that never once does Jesus try to give a definition of anxiety. We don't see this elucidation of all of the effects physically of worry in your life. We don't see in this passage a definition of the emotional sense of anxiety or even the mental unrest of anxiety here. And there's a sense where Jesus gives us what is familiar. He doesn't have to define it because all of us could describe it in our own experiences of life. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 is connected to what has come previously in this section of of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just dangling out there beside itself, but he says in verse 25, therefore, connecting us back to the previous section of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Comes to verse 24, where he says that you cannot serve God or mammon. So the anxiety specifically that Jesus is talking about here is the anxiety of of a self-sufficient life, an over-concern about providing and thinking that all of our tomorrows are dependent upon what we do or do not do today. Where we take the role of sole provider upon ourselves Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't, verses 24, and then we come to verse 25 with a therefore here. He says, don't be anxious about your tomorrows. And he's warning us and admonishing us to not spend time and trying to anticipate what's coming around the corner because honestly, we can't see around the brink of today. And in this passage here, it's important for us to see, because all of us are prone to worry. All of us are prone to anxiety. There are none of us that are immune to this. Now, it very well may be that there are some of us that have trauma in our life where anxiety is something that that walks with us in in a clinical way. And certainly, this passage would be heard in light of, of, of good counseling that one receives in applying the truths of this passage. It very well may be that that living into what our great physician says in this passage would mean that we would need a good human physician to be able to help us to walk into some of the the true panic attacks that we might have. But but many of us in this room don't don't face on a a weekly or monthly basis that sense of heightened anxiety, but, but worry sort of creeps in. It plagues us at times. 
And so as we look at this passage here, we need to understand that worry is not synonymous with concern or planning. We would want to read Matthew 6, 25 through 34 in light of Proverbs 6, 6. We commend the, the ant for storing away in the summer for the, the winter. We, we'd want to read this passage in light of, of Paul writing in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that we as believers are to care for our family. So worry is not synonymous with concern or planning. It, it is not something that, that doesn't go in, in connection with prayerful planning. It's not an invitation to a careless life, we could say. Not only is it not an invitation to a careless life, it is not an invitation to a carefree life either. Jesus isn't saying in this passage that we will not have concerns, nor is he saying in this passage that we will not have burdens in our life. You you walk through John's gospel in John chapter 11, you see Jesus facing uh, concerns and burdens. His soul is troubled in John chapter 12. In John chapter 11, we meet him uh, grieving over his friend Lazarus, and there he views Mary and Martha and all of the other Jewish people that are mourning, and, and he weeps. And so Jesus is one who is acquainted with deep emotional stress and anxiety. In John chapter 12, verse 27, now is my soul troubled, Jesus would say. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour for this purpose. I've come to this hour. So it's not a careless life, nor is it a carefree life. The the goal of Christianity is not that you come to this place of mental stoicism, that you float through life emotionless and that life is is pain-free. He's not saying in this passage that the goal of your existence is that in the midst of your troubles that you're unmoved and you're unshaken by them and you can think your way out of negativity and just think better thoughts and have this sort of Pollyannish view where you see all of life and the the glass is, is not half empty but it's half full. This isn't what Jesus is commending to us in this passage here. Well, then what is he calling us to? How should we view our worries? Notice in verses 25 through 27 and also in verses 28 through 30, we have two illustrations that illustrate one point. He first says, look up, look at the birds. Your heavenly father feeds them. Notice that he says in verses 25 through 27 that the birds don't raise crops. They don't stockpile meals for weeks to come, but they're amply provided for. He takes care of the birds of the air so he could take care of you, his children. Notice in this passage here, it would be a mistake to sort of overread into this passage, just sort of let God or let go, let God, passivity. That he's going to take care of everything. The birds are provided food through his sovereign providence, but, but God doesn't deliver birds at three o'clock every Friday afternoon to their beaks, the, the food that is needed, but they work tirelessly. And so we would see the, the role of effort and responsibility upon our heart, there, there isn't this let go, let God kind of nature in this passage here. Now, notice he says not only look up, but he says look around in verses 28 through 30. He says look at the lilies of the field. Notice that he says look at their beauty. It's not a beauty from their ingenuity. It's not a beauty from their effort, but rather it is a beauty in God's sovereign design. How he's created them in such splendor that even Solomon at the height of his reign could not come up with something as beautiful as what I have created that you just look around. In my sovereign design, there is beauty that is here. So he says, again, as he says, look up and trust me, look around and trust me. If I can provide food for the birds and if I can clothe the lilies of the field so you can trust that I will take care of you. You you can write in the margin of your Bible. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that really sums up much of what Jesus is saying in this very passage where he says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. What do we do with our worries? Well, we can look up and we see that God cares for the birds. We can look around and see that he clothes the lilies of the field so we can cast our anxieties, our concerns, our worries upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. You see, this is the, this is the temptation of, of worry and anxiety. It, it always is, is wanting to put us into the corner where we feel as if all of tomorrow is based upon what we do or we don't do today. That there is a sense where we feel with our anxiety that, it, that it, it backs us into a corner and it puts all of the responsibility upon us. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I care for you in the midst of your anxiety. I care for you in the midst of your difficulty here. And so the question then is, what do we do with our worries? Notice again in this passage that Jesus is clear. Notice in verse 27 how Jesus tells us, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this man of life? Notice in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think in many ways the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 sort of is applied to this specific uh, worrying concern that we might have. Now, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, we, we're praying, give us today our daily bread. And in many ways, these, these passages here are showing us how he would provide for us what we need for today. Luther, Martin Luther, that is, would say, he doesn't always give us our greeds, but he provides for us our needs. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is don't, don't get ahead of yourself thinking about what am I going to do with the infinite obstacles and the tomorrows that are going to come, but rather rest in the truth of his provision in your today, even when you don't see how he is going to work all things together for the good of those that love him or called according to his purpose in the tomorrows that are ahead of you. Even when you cannot discern his sovereign will in the tomorrows that are uncertain before you, you can trust and bask in the glorious truth of his word by looking back as a child and follower of the Most High King to see how his word is true in your life. As a Christian, you can look back and see, you know something? Have I ever added a single hour to my life by being anxious? I remember it, it happened sort of recently. My mother moved out of my childhood home. She had lived there for 30 years. I moved there with my mom and dad when I was five. So she moved out of the home. She had 30 years of memories in that house. And it's sort of this surreal moment where your mother hands you your whole childhood in three boxes and says, take this. I don't need this. Mom, are you sure you don't need my soccer trophies? When I was six years old, you don't want to hold on to these things. And so she gives me one of the boxes or all of these prayer journals. When I was 13 years old, became a follower of Christ, had a student minister that discipled me. And one of the disciplines was to journal, to read God's word. And boy, it's interesting. At that time, I'd been married 18 years, parent to father of three boys, and to be able to go back and to rewind your life to what you were thinking about when you're 13 years old and 14 years old and 15 years old. And there was a lot of anxiety in those journals. There was a lot of, of, of me writing about whether or not I was going to make the high school baseball team or not. 
There, there was a lot of concern about who I was going to ask to the dance. There was a lot of concern even of whether or not I was going to go to Mississippi College or Samford University and which one I would apply to. And I was able to look back at that and I wanted to say to my 16-year-old self, boy, how much time did you need to waste worrying about things that were out of your control? And this is the truth about worry for your life and for my life. Worry is always a thief. Corey Ten Boom says it this way, that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it empties today of its strength. And we can look back as followers of Christ and we can see how his word is true. So we look back and we can see how much time we spend wringing our hands, worrying over things that are out of our control while we fail to bask in the glorious riches of God's provision for our needs today. So look back, not only look back, look to him and seek his assurance for all of your tomorrows. We don't have to be captive to the uncertainty of our tomorrows. Why? Well, verse 31 says, we don't have to ask like the pagans. Again, we hear echoes of the, the prelude to the Lord's prayer. Here, Jesus in verse 31 says, don't ask like the pagans what you need to eat, drink, or wear. And then we go back to the beginning of the Lord's prayer where he says how we are not to pray We don't have to babble along like the pagans. And again, as I talked about that in a previous sermon, so it was that they thought that if they said more, a mantra-like way, the prophets of Baal coming before their G-O-D-S's, their lowercase gods, asking, trying to get his attention there. And so there's a temptation to think that we have to get the attention of God. And what Jesus is reminding us of is that we don't have to babble along like the pagans here, that he is one who hears our prayers and is a loving father. We don't have to run after these things. And so as we, in verse 33, have anxiety that creeps in, fear and worry that creeps in, what do we do with our worry? We reframe it. Where Jesus invites us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. So so as a follower of Christ, our highest priority isn't getting all of the answers about the unknowns of our tomorrows. Our highest priority as a follower of Christ isn't being able to, to walk in confidence that we know exactly how tomorrow is going to pan out in, the, in terms of a diagnosis, in terms of the uncertainty of what might come our way, but rather our highest pursuit is his kingdom and his righteousness. And notice again that this is a restatement of the Lord's Prayer. After we pray, hallowed be thy name, we pray what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so it is that what Jesus is saying to do with our worries is to see our worries under the umbrella of his kingdom. His reign, his will. So our primary concern is not the unknowns of our tomorrow, but rather the singular aim that we as followers ask and we pray for his spirit to allow us to walk in the freedom that we grow in our commitment to his reign and our thoughts and our actions become more aligned to his will. So his kingdom becomes our priority. His will becomes our priority in our marriages, in our singleness, in our work life, in our school life, in our church life. We're asking for him to be exalted in the midst of our todays, even when the unknowns of our tomorrows 
or before us. There's a story of Queen Elizabeth, not Queen Elizabeth II, not the 20th century, 21st century, not the Netflix Queen Elizabeth, but 16th century Queen Elizabeth. It's probably an apocryphal story in many ways, but the story goes this way, that that Queen Elizabeth takes aside this merchant and says to him, I need you to go on this voyage to the new world because you have the skills and you have the trade that will make this voyage a success. Well, this merchant says to the queen, your majesty, I'm a small businessman and my business, I am sure, will flounder without my presence there. And she says to him, the, the queen says, My dear friend, if you mind my business, I will mind your business. And his fear leaves him. In this moment, this merchant looks at, in his mind, this this monarch who has seemingly absolute power and wealth. and, And he hears in her words that if you will seek my kingdom, I will take care of the details of your little kingdom. And so here we have the confidence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords who is upon our side, who welcomes and invites us to seek first his kingdom, to seek first his righteousness. And all of these things, real concerns, real burdens, real uncertainties, no no minimization of that, but rather he reprioritizes that, he reframes that. He doesn't wash them away and say, oh, it's not a big deal. Rather, he says, no, look to me. Look to my sufficiency. Look to the clarity of me before you in this moment. And he says to us, if you will mind my business, I will mind yours also. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the great truth that we stand in. It is ironic and strange that many of us have no problem trusting that God exists because his word has declared it to us. We trust that he exists. We trust that he has spoken and he's spoken clearly in his word. We trust that he has sent his son and his son has lived a perfect life that we could not live. He has fulfilled the requirements of the law. He has died a, a salvific death upon the cross for your sins and for my sins. God in his infinite power as his father has raised him to defeat hell, death, and the grave. He's ascended to the right-hand throne of the Father. And right now, he makes intercession for each and every one of you here that are followers of Christ, children of the Most High King. And he has promised that he is coming back again. And if we meet him before his second coming, he has promised to us as followers of him that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So here, child of God, this glorious truth that if the God of the universe can handle the details and the ordering of eternity, can you trust him that he can handle the details of your life? Mind his business, and he will mind your business. Let us pray. Lord, we pause and reflect upon the truth of your word. 
but for all of us that are followers of you that have trusted in the finished work of your son. What a comfort it is to know that we're never alone. That even when the uncertainties of diagnosis, the uncertainties of job situations, the uncertainties of family situations are true burdens and true concerns. They're not burdens that you call us to carry alone. May we be men and women. May we be a church that seeks first your kingdom work, that pursues your righteousness. Lord, I pray for the person that is here today who is solely dwelling in their own strength, who looks not to you as King of kings and Lord of lords, but rather as their own Lord of their own kingdom, their own King of their own kingdom. I pray for the power of your spirit even today to draw them to conviction, to show them their insufficiency and to to gloriously show your, your glorious sufficiency. Lord, may we walk in the confidence of your divine ordering of our steps. It's in your name we pray, the saving name of Christ, amen.